lot, so. Yeah. I mean, I know one song. I know Raining Blood. Probably because Tori Amos covered it. Nope. <laughs> Not because of Tori Amos. Why do you know it? Because there is a mashup online of Raining Blood and Rock Lobster. I'm interested in hearing that. It's <laughs> really good. We're going to have to listen to that when this episode is over. Yeah, because uh, Wow. Yeah, it's... That sounds great. It's amazing. It's a, it's everything you need and want a mashup to be. Who did the mashup? I don't know. <laughs> some... The internet? Some genius on YouTube. <laughs> I mean, honestly, he's... I feel bad now because he makes a lot of really good um, thingamabobs. Yeah, and I'm sure it's not <laughs> girl talk. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of stopped being... He stopped doing shit. Like, Girl Talk, where are you? Girl Talk ended up, like, becoming a producer, I think, and, like, working on video game soundtracks and things and probably making real money. But, like, I want more mashups. I know. It's up to us now. I can't do mashups. I'm trying. I'm too dumb to do that. No, you're not (laughs) too dumb. It takes time. Time taken. Uh, It's stuff I have to learn, and I don't want to. All right. So... Welcome to Rock Candy. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> we don't want to learn shit. Yeah. Except there's... we do every week. As do you. But it's stuff that I choose to learn. Yeah, but you could choose to learn how to do mashups. But I don't want to. All right, there this you go. This is stuff I want to learn about. There you go. That's all I needed. I need to hear it straight from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Thank you for calling me a horse. Jesus. You are a beautiful galloping I am stallion. A, I'm a fucking pegasus. Or like an alicorn or just a pegasus? I just want to be a pegasus. All right, that's fine. No, that's good. That's good. Like in the beginning of the TriStar pictures, <laughs> galloping and flies. That's who you are. That's me. All right, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. This is our lovely pegasus. I am Ashley. Yes. <laughs> My half drunk pegasus. Oh, that's the best kind of pegasus. <laughs> and tonight we have a lovely tale. For everyone to hear. It's about oh. a wonderful band. Um, you may have heard of them. You may not have heard of them. Maybe. You might only know them from a mashup. Maybe. But they are prolific and important. And their name is Slayer. Because <laughs> guess what? It's fucking May. And you know what we're bringing back? Nanomania. Yeah. Meow. Meow. <laughs> Guys, we make great guitar noises with <laughs> I our don't mouths. Know. That was kind of a cat, but whatever he was a metal cat you can't get more metal than that cat just did so yeah like whole fucking month of metal, metal. bands basically yeah. Yeah, yeah and we're even getting an extra week of metal mania may is it mania or mayhem what are we I think doing it's metal oh are we doing may- mayhem or mania? i think the last time we did mania but mayhem makes more sense but so does mania because it's may yeah, but no, but mania is not spelled with May, but mayhem is spelled with May. So are we going with mayhem? We're going with mayhem. All right. Executive Net- decisions mayhem. right now. <laughs> Executive decisions. Everyone's like, can you please just get on with the story? Just shut up. Just shut up. My God, people who have only come here for the first time to hear about Slayer are like, I'm about ready to hit. This isn't Slayer. Stop talking. I mean... You're right. You're yeah. But you can't make me stop. Can't stop, won't stop. And I can't stop, won't stop drinking. Yeah, we actually found 
the absolute perfect beer for yeah, this. We, again, we don't have to play Six Degrees of Beer. Not at all. Six Degrees of Beer! <laughs> meow. Yes, tonight I am drinking from Equilibrium, uh, Raining Belma. Yeah. Which is an uh, Indian pale ale. Of course it is. It is. With, with notes of citrus and strawberry. It just tastes like a regular type IPA. <laughs> it's a fucking IPA, guys. It's an IPA. It's fine. E- it's fine. Equilibrium is a pretty badass brewery. Mm-hmm. They have since expanded their repertoire, but they did like this whole metal series mm-hmm. of beers, and a, this one was the Slayer one. They've done one that's uh, Pantera. They've done a couple others, I think, but this one is the the Slayer one. They probably didn't do Metallica one because Budweiser already got the market on that. <laughs> oh. and or Megadeth because Unibrow oh, also yeah. got Megadeth. Is so. it Unibrow? Unibrew. Unibrew. <laughs> I, like, I feel uni- like Unibrow is not the That's name. That's not it. It's very French. They would be offended by that. Wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> wee oui, wee. Oui. You know who's not French? Megadeth. <laughs> not at all. But yes, yeah, Slayer is, this is all appropriate because Slayer is a part of the, the big four. Indeed. So why not start off Metal Mayhem with a bang? And we, a surprise two-parter. Yeah. A surprise to all, both of us. All of us. Everyone all here. Of us. <laughs> Stupid me for thinking I could do Slayer in one episode. Nope. I mean, TBH, I was like, yeah, Slayer, what do they have, yeah. like, six albums? No. <laughs> Twice as many. <laughs> every, Literally. And, and now every Slayer fan has turned off our podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, but we weren't big Slayer fans Not, like, at the start. But I, I, uh, let's say this. While I am not particularly a fan of their music, it's fine. Just fine. I'm totally it's, okay with their it's music. iconic it's, I, it's important yes i am fans of the boys of slayer Interesting. however Ooh. so this has definitely opened my eyes to slayer because like if you don't know a lot about them your impression is probably like these guys are assholes <laughs> these guys are metalhead assholes and people i don't want to associate with that probably have shitty views on things mm. nay nay they they are the Pretty much the exact opposite of that. Well, that's nice to hear. As as far as I know, in my research so far. Thus far. Thus far, they seem to be upstanding gentlemen. And I find generally in metal music, it is kind of black and white. Either they're really fucking cool or they're total fucking douchebags. Yeah. Nary does it come in between that. Right. And you kind of have to pick them out as individuals. You can't just... Put a label on an entire band because there's a lot of bands out there that have like pretty decent people in the same band as complete fucking dick bags. Are we talking about Metallica again? It could be Metallica. Yeah. (laughs) Also, I'm talking about black metal. Oh, (laughs) yeah. yeah, Because there's a lot of dick bags mixed in with the good dudes. So that's very true. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't want to generalize the genre like that, but I do find in our studies thus far either they're like really cool or really fucking yeah. lame but i do have to say that i've been to quite a few metal shows in the last few years and mm. they are audience wise the best shows i've ever been oh, to yeah nicest, the coolest nicest audience nicest people ever totally agree so if you're a metal fan listening thank you 
thank you for being nice. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. It's nice to meet you. Hope mm-hmm. you enjoy your stay. I hope you enjoy this episode. Yeah. Well, let's let's roll into it. Let's get into some fucking Slayer. Okay. Rain and blood. We have a lot to talk about, guys. All right. Okay. Once again, we are dipping into the well that is the big four. Yay. We've already covered Metallica and Megadeth, so now it's Slayer's turn. And although Slayer doesn't have as big of a name as the other two, their influence is no less felt in the metal world. These guys are a true metalheads band, never straying from their roots in everything gory and evil. And their workhorses to boot, up until their split in 2019, they basically toured nonstop, released 12 studio albums, and created a merchandise empire that is pretty much unrivaled. Wow. Metallica did the same thing, but Slayer managed to keep their brand, their relevance, and their dignity. And they never hired a therapist and a documentary crew to just show the world that yeah, they lost I'm- it. As far as I know, they haven't, but we'll probably get to that maybe in an e- another episode. But No banana stickers for Slayer. No Dr. Twinkle Tits for them. But every band starts somewhere, and this one started with a few wily teenagers in California. California knows how to party. Knows how to party. The undisputed leader of this group is Carrie King, who by all means had a pretty normal childhood. He was born in L.A. on June 3, 1964, where he was raised by his aircraft inspector slash part-time sheriff father and his mother who worked for the telephone company. Well, shit. That's some working class right there. That is a lot of talents for one man to encapsulate. Seriously. He became interested in music at a young age, but he didn't dedicate himself to it right away. He had nerdier pursuits to attend to Ooh. first. He was a star mathlete oh. in high school and a standout in the junior ROTC program. What's the R- what is ROTC? It's like a junior military kind of program. Oh. Like for high school kids. Wow. That's I don't remember intense. what I don't remember what it stands for, but it's like Rotary Club. Yeah. <laughs> R-O-T-C. <laughs> Rote Club. Rock Club. Rotary, see? It's the Rock Club. Oh my god, he was already he was already metal. He was at the Rock Club. <laughs> Close <laughs> enough. Sure, that's what it is now. It's the Rock Club. He was also pretty good at baseball, but all of that stuff paled in comparison to shredding a guitar. Yay. Carrie dedicated himself to the instrument after his father passed down to him a Fender Stratocaster. Oh. He quit ROTC, grew his hair out, and immersed himself in the metal scene that was happening around him. I just picture this very clean cut, stiff Buzz boy. cut. Like, oh, fucking um, Jack Black in Mars Attacks. Yes. Just like. <laughs> I'm taking this very seriously, and his dad just like walks in the room with this like this Fender Stratocaster. He's like, "Fuck this!" And then he becomes Jack Black from Tenacious D. Exactly. He grabs the guitar, <laughs> just jumps on his bed, and just starts ripping the shreds. Yep. Yes, I love it. I love this idea. <laughs> when Carrie got the itch to join a band, he turned to the most trusty publication available to metalheads in California at the time, The Recycler. Oh, The Recycler. Yeah. He got himself a shot auditioning for a band called Ledger, but he wouldn't leave with a spot in the band. That didn't matter, though, because he heard a dude sitting at the reception receptionist desk plucking away at his guitar. He was playing stuff Carrie really liked, like Def Leppard, ACDC, and Judas Priest. Hell yeah. 
They weren't the best renditions he'd ever heard, but the guy was decent and had great taste in music. Good so, enough. Good enough. <laughs> so Carrie introduced himself to the blonde-haired novice, whose name was Jeff Hanneman. Jeff was born in, in Oakland, California on January 31st, 1964, and grew up in Long Beach, the youngest in a family of five kids. Okay. That's not too many kids. Not as many as some of the members of this group. Oh, my. His immediate family contains at least three war veterans, including his father, who was from Germany and fought for the Allies in World War II. Oh, my. Mr. Hanneman brought back a collection of Nazi memorabilia after the war, and when Jeff discovered it as a child, it sparked a lifelong interest in World War II history. Okay. Much like Lemmy before him, Jeff eventually amassed a huge collection of general war me memorabilia as well as Nazi memorabilia, and he often made references to them in songs he wrote for Slayer, mm -hmm. which then got them in hot water on occasion. It which, is an interesting thing to think about, right? Because yeah. I guess you don't want to completely take out the Nazi part of the war, right? Because that's what you, you have to remember. And then, but people want, if they see you having Nazi memorabilia, they're like, oh my God, you're a Nazi. They automatically think that you're a Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer. But I could also see, especially someone growing up, you know, in the 60s and 70s, the war was not that long ago. And your and dad so, fought in it. So like, you have this Nazi memorabilia along with all this other World War right. II memorabilia. Right. And we'll get into it a little bit later, but like, Jeff definitely had a very big respect for both sides of the war. Okay. But he did not support Nazism in any way, shape, or form. He was simply interested in the history of it and was interested in both sides. It is, it is you know, you have to look at even the Nazi side. You have to look at the Axis powers as well and see you have to their reasoning. You have to understand them in order to understand why the Allies were fighting against him. Yeah. Why was everybody always against them? There were very good reasons for that. And Jeff completely understood that. Yeah. But he also, it's important to know where they were coming from. Exactly. Okay. I'll give it to him. Am I not merciful? <laughs> <laughs> you straight up Commodus over here. My hmm. word. Jeff got his first taste of metal from his older sister, Mary, who introduced the aspiring musician to Black Sabbath. Nice. That led to an interest in hardcore punk while in high school, which would have a huge influence on Jeff's writing style for Slayer. Mm -hmm. After that, he knew he needed to be in a band. After his uncle gifted him an electric guitar, he attempted to start a punk band, but the other dude in the band was too much of a flake and it yeah. never happened. Then he found himself talking to Carrie King, and the two decided to ditch Ledger and start their own band. Yeah, good for them. Ledger was garbage anyway. It was like Journey covers and shit. Oh, woof. Look, I mean, I don't mind Journey, but Journey covers, come on. Like, hearing Journey is enough. Yeah. I don't need to hear a cover. No. Now that Carrie and Jeff decided to be co-lead guitarists and co-lead songwriters... They needed a couple more dudes to fill out this outfit. They recruited Dave Lombardo on drums, who Carrie knew from attending Southgate High School. Dave was born in Havana, Cuba oh. on February 16th, 1965, but only lived in Cuba until he was two years old. His parents then moved his family to Southgate, California, where Dave took a huge interest in playing the drums. 
Recognizing his son's musical talent, Dave's father bought him a five-piece drum set when he was 10. Shit. That's a nice dad. That's a cool dad. He's a cool dad. Hey. Rad dad. He's a rad dad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Lombardo, he was rad. Good job. That allowed him to indulge in wailing along to Kiss's album Alive as much as he wanted. Because he was part of the Kiss Army. Kiss Army. (laughs) Kiss Army? The Kiss Army. Formal lessons weren't an option for Dave as they were boring and repetitive, but he played in a handful of bands throughout high school. When he was 16, he introduced himself to Carrie, whom he heard was the guitarist that lived only a few blocks down the street. Networking. Do it. Networking (laughs) at that point was just showing up at somebody's house and being like, hey, are you a guitarist? You want to play some Kiss songs? Want to play some sick acid jazz? No, you want to play some I was made for loving you, baby. <laughs> oh, fuck that song. I like that song, as we discussed in the previous episode. So yeah, they decided to jam together, and they brought Jeff into the fold, and the footings of Slayer were starting to form. Now they just needed a bassist and vocalist. Oh, so none of them were the singer? No. Oh. Enter Tom Araya. Thomas Enrique Araya Diaz was born on June 6, 1961, in Viña del Mar, Chile. Oh. He spent the first five years of his life in Chile, after which his family moved to Los Angeles. It was a large family of seven siblings, many of them musicians. Nice. Tom's older brother, Cisco, was a guitar player, which inspired him to pick up the bass. And the brothers would jam together, playing Beatles and Rolling Stone songs. Like you do you do like everybody did back then i mean what else were you gonna play i don't know journey covers apparently (laughs) (laughs) eventually tom joined neighborhood bands and became a competent vocalist too he was like how he was a competent competent vocalist i mean he was playing in a top 40 cover band and i mean while his vocals lend very well to the type of music slayer was doing I would have loved to have hear him, heard him singing Top 40 All right. in the 70s. Make it happen, my dude. <laughs> so yeah, he was playing in a Top 40 cover band called Quits when the band's guitarist, who happened to be giving guitar lessons to Carrie King, invited Carrie into the Quits fold. Oh. And these guys were only teenagers, barely at legal driving age, when they scored a gig at Gazzari's, uh, the same L.A. club where Van-, Van Halen got their start. The band didn't last long, dissolving only a few months after Carrie joined, which is why they called themselves Quits, because they were they knew they were going to be calling it Quits. Ah, so, uh, I get it. Wait, do, is do that really why it? they called themselves yes. that? Yes. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, they knew that they weren't going to be around for very long, so like... <laughs> They had changed their name to Quits because they were going to call it Quits. I mean, you know what? It's on brand. They they clearly I will knew. give it to them. That is a pun for the ages. Yes. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Good job. They knew they knew what they were about. And it was Quitting? Quitting. <laughs> I know what I'm about, and I'm about quitting. I'm about getting the fuck out of here. All fuck right. you guys. The guys kind of went their separate ways. Tom got a working stiff job as a respiratory therapist while the other guys continued their high school careers. Because he was about like four years older than Oh, them. okay. I'm like, what? Does he just like, I know what I want. He's 15 years old. I know what I need to do with my life. <laughs> respiratory therapy. 
I'm sure at age 15, somebody will hire me as a respiratory therapist. <laughs> it's like Doogie Hauser, but not as much commitment. <laughs> and longer hair. Oh, yeah. I would say overall, more attractive. Better. Yes, more attractive. All right. All right. Definitely. Like name alone, I'm more attracted to him. Yeah. Yeah. The hair, though. Great hair. Mm. Great hair. Was it like that silky soft? You just want to pet it? He had like long, dark, curly hair. Mm. Oh, Mm. yeah. Again, Slayer fans are like, can you please stop talking about how nice it is? But can you not sexualize my favorite band? Um, No, I'm gonna. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna. Welcome to being a woman. (laughs) Bruh. But once the guys graduated in 1981, the four guys got together in Dave's garage to try their hand at starting a band together. Like, now they're like, all right, we're serious. We're fucking doing this. This is happening, guys. Guys. Stop trying to avoid the inevitable. Just let yourself go. And they all just stare at each other in the eyes. And petted each other's hair. Oh, God. That sounds wonderful. Circle pet. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... (laughs) The soft core version of a circle jerk. Yeah, they just pet each other's beautiful hair. I like that. That's so sweet. But, and apparently it was magic. <laughs> or Satan, whichever. I think it was Satan. Yeah. Hail Satan. <laughs> and they knew they had something special. They began playing shows around LA and Orange County, blasting through covers of metal greats like Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, and Black Sabbath. And they would play anywhere they could, from clubs to house parties to Battle of the Band shows. In between shows and a sea of part-time jobs, the boys descended upon the local party scene with fervor. Mm -hmm. Well, some of them did. Tom and Jeff were staples, often found passed out in a stairwell or pounding shots with others in the metal scene. Noticeably absent from these shenanigans were Carrie and Dave. Carrie didn't really drink until he was 21, and even after that, he wasn't much of a drinker. That's fair. Dave, on the other hand, was busy with his girlfriend, Teresa, who would eventually become his wife. Oh, shit. And the two of them just weren't partiers. They, like, had their own thing. They weren't in that scene, really. Yeah, they had their own thing. It was called fucking. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, honestly, if you're going to be like, uh, you know, like, I'll come out for a drink or two, but then we got to go home and fuck. (laughs) That's legit. Like, that is the most legit excuse. You're like, I can't even get mad. And also, like, he didn't even have to work to get a fuck. No. Like, all the other guys probably had to work a little bit. Like, they probably had girlfriends, but also, like, I'm sure that they were just fucking whoever. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they were getting group, like, you know, maybe not even groupies, but just, like, you know, ladies who were in the scene hanging out. I mean, it's it's a pretty big, like, point on your side to be in a band when you're trying to just cruise for ladies. Yeah. It helps a lot. Yeah. And honestly, like, ladies... Fuck a guy in a band? Don't be with a guy in a band. Hey. Except for Mike. <laughs> like, everyone I've dated has been in a band. <laughs> My God, I have not had good luck trying to date band people. Uh, the worst relationships I ever had were the people that were not in bands. Right. So my experience is the exact opposite of All yours. All right. Well, I don't know what to tell you then, kids. You know what? Just fuck a musician. You know, just fuck, just do fuck it. whoever you want. You know what? I encourage you know everyone what? You to do have... you. Fuck whoever you want. Yeah. You know what? As long as there's consent, yeah. thumbs up. Wrap it up. Be safe. Yep. All you got to do. Pregante. <laughs> do not get pregante. <laughs> as the band grew, so did their stage personas. This is where they really started getting into the satanic imagery that Slayer is now so known for. 
being poor and of the DIY mindset, they became little kleptos, <laughs> stealing light bulbs and wood to build an eight-foot lighting rig in the shape of an inverted pentagram. That's and if, awesome. And eventually they added flash pots and fireworks to their stage show. And they kind of like continued to do this throughout like the whole thing. Like fire was a big thing. <laughs> Inverted pentagrams were a big thing. Like I think eventually they kind of pared it down a little bit as they got less flashy. Yeah. And the outfits. Oh boy. Oh boy. These days, the Slayer guys are more often than not found in just black muscle tees and jeans. But still back, hot. Still hot. <laughs> but back then, their outfits were more along the lines of Motley Crue or Judas Priest. There are some choice photos out there of these guys wearing skin-tight red pants and purple zebra shirts with sky-high hair. Wait. Yeah. But they aren't hair metal. No. Oh my gosh. It's delightful. Oh my god, I need to see this. I will show you. Despite their hair metal appearance, they were hitting harder than anyone on stage. I believe it. Finally, the guys started writing their own music and made a shift from covers to original material. Carrie and Jeff wrote a majority of Slayer's songs, and throughout Slayer's entire career, they wrote a lot of anti-Christian lyrics with a heavy emphasis on satanic, satanic imagery. Nice. None of the guys were actually Satanists. They just wanted to be shocking and controversial. Right, of course. And I was actually going to ask, were any of them raised religious or turned religious? Oh, you'll get to that. I'm sorry. I did not mean to steal your thunder. Yeah. Actually, Tom and Dave were both Catholic. Oh, they were like Catholic, like Christian. Like, yes. The, here the for most God. Christian of the Christians. Raise your hands here for Jesus. Yeah. But they had great attitudes about the songs. They didn't take offense because they were just words. They knew Carrie's deep-seated anti-Christian beliefs and respected them, just like Carrie respected their pro-Christian re- beliefs. It's almost like you can have both. It's almost like you can respect each other and not, like, scream at each other all the time. Weird. Hmm. I don't trust that. But this was well before Facebook, so. Uh... There was mutual respect, and at the end of the day, they were just songs. Literally the exact opposite behavior of the Washington wives during the PMRC hearings. Mm. Like, they're literally just words. Mm -hmm. And if you take offense to them, then that's on you. Yeah. Sorry, we are fine with it, and we got two fucking Catholics in this band. Right. I mean, you know. Yeah. We've talked about it on the episode, or the The PMRC PMRC episode. episode, yeah. And you have, like... D. Snyder, who does identify as Christian. Indeed. And then you have uh, uh, John Denver, who, I mean, wholesome, wholesome as wholesome The most can be. wholesome folk singer that ever existed, basically, so. even though he wasn't. So but. if you're wondering if we're still mad at Tipper Gore, the answer is yes. Tipper Gore did so much bad shit for music. Yeah. <laughs> like, in general. Like, she really fucked everybody up. Thanks, Tipper. Yeah. Your name's Tipper. We should have known. Her name was Tipper. Tipper dang nearly took her out to a fancy (laughs) restaurant and had her home by 10. (laughs) Well, Brian Slagle, creator and head of Metal Blade Records, caught a Slayer show and was blown away by these guys. He recruited them to appear on the Metal Massacre 3 compilation, and they contributed an original song called Aggressive Perfector. All right. And Slagle was so impressed that he not only offered to sign them to Metal Blade, but he offered to manage them, too. He's like, I want in on 
all of this. Love you. Love your look. Love this whole thing. Need to have it. What can we do? <laughs> I'm sure that's not what happened, but I really like that. I really like the idea. I of just this. picture him doing that with like really long nails and like doing the hand thing. Like, love it. Need it. How can I get it? Yes. How can we get you on Metal Blade Records? Because this needs to happen. Love it. All of this. This. All of it. Love it. You know what? They had big hair and purple zebra shirts. They could go for it. It's fine. Yeah. Just be open to it. It sounded like a really good deal, and the guys liked Brian, so they signed the contract. Oh, I feel like you're leading us into some disappointment. There's an unfortunately. Unfortunately, both parties were too green to really understand what they were getting into. So they ended up locked into a multi-album contract where Brian took a majority of the publishing rights and gained ownership of Slayer's master recordings. Uh, What? Later down the road, Tom continued to be salty about the situation, understandably. Uh But Carrie and Jeff were more understanding, and even after they split from Brian later on, they continued to be friends. But But what? So, like, neither one of them... Neither Slayer nor Brian knew what the fuck they were doing. He had never managed anybody before. Right, but I want to know who wrote that contract with like, well, clearly the manager should get publishing yeah. rights. Why the fuck should the manager get publishing rights? Well, apparently the contract was only one page. Oh, no. Literally one page. Honey, no. So I have a feeling it was more about what was not in the contract than what was in the contract. Mm-hmm. So... If you leave a bunch of shit out, then it's probably stuff that's going to go to the manager. Yeah. If you leave area for gray, yeah. it's not good for you. Exactly. So don't leave gray areas. Yeah. If Write you have a everything question. out. Yeah. Everything. Things you wouldn't even think that are a thing that could be a thing later on down the road. Just plan for it. Yeah. Put it in the contract. Put it in the contract. But yes, I can understand. Poor baby muffins are probably like, what the fuck are publishing rights? Yeah, like, that is the Brian, most- Brian, you're right. Brian probably didn't even know what that meant. Right. I don't think either one of them knew that that was probably the most lucrative part of the whole deal. Mm-hmm. So they were like, publishing rights, whatever. We're not publishing anything. It's like, no, but you are. <laughs> <laughs> but you are. <laughs> so now it was time to record a debut album. Despite the fact that they had a shiny new record deal, their first album, Show No Mercy, was entirely self-funded. Damn. Tom, the only one with a somewhat career-oriented job, put up his savings, and Carrie's dad financed the rest. And the album was released on December 3rd, 1983, and I truly believe that instead of angels trumpeting to announce my upcoming birth... <laughs> It was actually Slayer releasing this album that was to prepare people for the evil that was about to befall them. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that journey for you. Yeah, but right? seriously, I do really love this. My journey is like amazing. I won't stop believing in <laughs> Satan. <laughs> and me. Really, no one working on this album had any idea what they were doing. It has often been criticized for its low production quality, but there's a good reason for that. No one working on the album had recorded in a studio before. This is like 
so amazing. It's it, like a domino effect of never did this, never did this, never did this, never did this. But at the same time, respect because they were like, we don't fucking know what we're doing, but we're doing it. Yeah, honestly, some of the best bands came up just being like, I don't fucking know. And then they make the mistake and they're like, well, shit. Right. And also, apparently, like, like we have heard so many times before, they didn't really have the money to rent a studio. So they rented it during the cheapest time slot they could get, which was from midnight to six o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. So these guys were like working all day, you know, slinging pizzas and like, you know. Just throwing pizzas at walls. That's giving it. oxygen to old biddies and like <laughs> and and then they would have to wait around until midnight. So they would probably like drink themselves into like an energetic thing or drink a ton of coffee and just be like, Yeah, now it's time to go to the studio. Let's do all this crazy ass fucking music until six o'clock in the morning. Does, get two hours of sleep and then go back to their jobs the next morning. Does it show my age if I'm like, oh, I'll take a, like a two hour nap. That sounds good. <laughs> and then I'll drink a fucking Red Bull and then I'll go and then I'll drink a ton of booze. No, but like I can, I'm at the age where I cannot take a nap because the risk is too much. <laughs> I don't know how I am going to feel when I wake up from that nap. The risk is great. Yes. The risk is too great <laughs> in that in that situation. Because, like, I could fall asleep for 20 minutes, wake up, and be like, yeah, I'm good to go. Let's go. Or I could fall asleep for, like, four hours and be like, I hate myself. I want to die. I'll just wake you up and be like, is it secret? Is, is it, it safe? safe? <laughs> and you'll be like, shit, we have to go. <laughs> Gotta go. Let's get out of the shire. I'll be like, yo, those beacons are lit. And you'll be like, I gotta go. There you go. He's here. Gotta go. (laughs) So at one point they realized the sound, like this just exemplifies that they don't really know what they're fucking doing. Mm -hmm. At one point they realized the sound of the cymbals was bleeding into the other mics. Oh. So their solution was to make Dave drum without cymbals and then add them back in later. So he's like drumming and just like hitting nothing when he's trying to hit a cymbal. Mm. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's not. How- that- that's what they did. I- and it worked. It did? It worked. All right. Wow. Wowie wow wow. Like this is the only album I know of where they added cymbals in post. <laughs> if you know of another one, please let us know. <laughs> but so far, here we are. But they got what they wanted when they made Show No Mercy. With heavy priest and maiden influences, songs like The Antichrist and Black Magic were intended to shock. Yeah. The cover is even meant to evoke pearl clutching, with Slayer's now iconic logo gracing an album cover for the first time. With the band's name in jagged red letters and an unfinished pentagram of swords, it's a pretty good indication of what's inside. I think... This book that I read for this, which I forgot to cite. Yes, it was. Yeah, I forgot to mention my source for this. Oops. (gasps) Sorry. So typically May. (laughs) So the name of this book is Slayer 66 and 2 thirds, the Jeff and Dave years by uh, DX Ferris. Oh, DX DX Ferris? DX Ferris. DXF. Um, it's fine. It's a fine book. It's definitely written by like a Slayer bro. 
Uh, but um, gets the job done. All right. It's a quick read. Gets the job done. I feel like it's, we've said this before about men. It is what? fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, considering the heavy ball cupping this guy does in like the introduction, <laughs> um, he does a good job of putting his uh, putting fandom, the balls aside, putting the splitting the you know parting the balls and uh. just continuing on down the road of this is the history of Slayer. Good. Good for him. Anyway, the book gives a good description of what the album is when it says the band play like a cleaner version of Venom. Oh. So that's pretty much what Slayer was trying to do with this first album. All right. That's a good descriptor. The album eventually became Metal Blade's highest selling album ever, and its release meant touring was ahead. All right. But before they could even plan it, Carrie almost went off into the sunset with Dave Mustaine. He almost called it quits? Almost. Almost called it quits. Almost called it quits. But quits already called it quits. So can you call it quits again? I don't know. I mean, you did say that they called it what they were good at. They're good at quitting. My talents, quitting. Quitting. So wait. (laughs) This is Carrie was going to go off with Dave? Yeah, Carrie was going to go off into the sunset with Dave Mustaine. He's like, hey, Carrie. <laughs> hey, Carrie, it's me, Dave. <laughs> you want to join a band with me? Hey, Carrie, it's me, Dave Mustaine. <laughs> and Carrie was just like, no. He's no. like, maybe? Maybe. So Carrie was connected with the Megadeth frontman through a BC Rich guitar representative. Dave proceeded to try to recruit him into his new band, which would have been Megadeth. Yes. This was right after Dave was kicked out of Metallica and poised to form the second pillar of the Big Four. And Carrie never intended on joining Dave's band, but he saw it as a learning opportunity because Dave was already known as one of the best metal guitarists in California. You know what? We talked about in the Megadeth episode, for what it's worth, Dave is very talented. He is. He's not the best singer, but he's a great guitar player. He's a great guitar player. Great uh, songwriter. (laughs) You really didn't think about that. Maybe a great winemaker, but we're not sure about that yet. We'll find out. We will find out because, yes, we bought Dave Mustaine's wine. But you know what I think he is really good at? I think he's probably a good horse pony dad. He is. He's a mini horse pony dad. He's a mini horse pony dad. (laughs) And that is adorable. That's all I need. They have the same hair. <laughs> Bo Hurst and Dave Mustaine have the same hair. It's oh, so cute. We could just braid it together and walk around. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm just picturing them in a very lush forest, yes. just sitting on rocks and braiding each other's hair. And so horse is having a hard time. <laughs> I need I need a fan. I need a fan art of this. <laughs> Carrie has said it wasn't exactly the learning experience he'd hoped for. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Because Dave was drunk all the time. Because Dave is Dave. Dave Mustaine is Dave Mustaine. Yeah. Ain't gonna change him. Even yeah. if he becomes a born-again Christian. Dave gonna Dave. Dave gonna Dave. But his departure caused a lifelong rift between Carrie and Dave. Much like... Wait, not Dave Mustaine. The other Dave? No, Dave Mustaine. Oh. Between Carrie and Dave Mustaine. <gasps> oh, no. And I mean, like, 
Dave it, does not handle rejection well. Not at all. Let's have a quick wow about Dave Mustaine and rejection. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Mustaine very much takes offense to anybody that is like, no, I don't want to work with you. And it's not because of you. Like, it's not anything. It's yeah. just that this isn't the path for and me. Like, and that's fine. But Dave's like, no, it's not. But I kind of feel like Dave does this thing where he'll be like cool with them to their face. But then he'll turn around and talk shit about them in like media. Yeah. And it's like, bruh, just like pick one. Yeah. Are you going to be mad or are you going to be nice? You can't do both at the same time. You know. But also that makes me think you're a shit stirrer. And I don't like that. I bet he just really needs a therapist with banana stickers. Yeah, like, your poodle hair is too nice for you to be that much of a dick. Honestly. Stop it. Oh, maybe that's why he got the therapy pony. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) That's who's working on his problems with him. Mm. So, yeah, instead, Carrie went back to Slayer, and in the fall of 1984, they packed up Tom's Camaro, hitched a trailer to it, and embarked on their first cross-country tour. Noise. All of them just in a fucking Camaro. Wait a minute. Yeah. I realize the the schematics of this. Yeah, it's it's a lot. No. But also, like, how can you how can you pull like a U-Haul trailer with a Camaro? Camaro. I don't know. There's questions here, people. Maybe I don't know exactly the inner workings of a Camaro and how much it can haul. You definitely and don't how, know the inner how workings much, of a Camaro. How much uh, a, how much ass a Camaro can haul? I really don't know. Waka waka. <laughs> because Show No Mercy, its subsequent tour, and a follow-up EP called Haunting the Chapel were such successes, Metal Blade decided to finance Slayer's next album. As they should. As they should have in the first place, but mm-hmm. that's another story. <laughs> the band grew by leaps and bounds on Hell Awaits. Dave's drumming was noticeably improved, stamping his double bass technique all over the album. And they even let him have his cymbals in this one. Yeah, he got to keep the cymbals. (laughs) (laughs) The tour for Hello Waits allowed them to open for their idols. They spent March 1985 opening for Venom and Exodus, with Tom and his party crew getting themselves into compromising situations. Ooh, I'd be in a compromising position with Tom. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Mm. Just want to pet that hair, really. Honestly. Honestly. Just let me rub my hands through that hair. Mm. On one particular evening, Tom drunkenly smashed his way onto Slayer's tour bus where Dave and Jeff were hanging out with Kronos from Venom. Tom's all, where the fuck is the bathroom on this thing? (laughs) And Kronos jokingly says, it's right here in my mouth. (gasps) So Tom whipped it out and pissed on his head. Stop. Oh my god. And Kronos like got up and punched him in the face. <gasps> oh my god. Oh I'm cringing so yeah, hard for yeah. him right now. I'm I'm impressed that he like literally just whipped it out and immediately started peeing. Like, yeah, like no hesitation. No hesitation. Like, it had to have been so quick that Kronos couldn't even move. Exactly. Like, did he have to pee that bad? I like, guess was so. he like milliseconds away from pissing his own pants? Well, now that we keep talking about it, I want to pee my pants. So I have let's to pee stop too. Talking about it. <laughs> wow, and that's like his idol. Yes. Oh no, Tom. No, I don't think anybody really gave a shit. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, I guess Tom got like. And that is sometimes, like, the nice thing about being a guy, though, too, right? Because it's, like, sometimes guys can just, like, 
one guy does some fucked up the other guy punches him and it's fine like even stevens exactly man sometimes people just hold grudges but like some people can just be like i just want to punch you in the face and now we're good i would venture to say that that wasn't even the first time chronos got pissed on (laughs) so like you can't be mad yeah you're like all right by now, the band's onstage costumes evolved into something more akin to black metal than glam metal. Oh. And they switched out their red leather pants and purple zebra shirts for black leather and studded gauntlets. Still here for it. Along with black and white corpse paint. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know they did the corpse paint. I didn't either. But apparently this was very short-lived. I bet. <laughs> the boys then uprooted and moved to San Francisco in January 1984. The Metallica had already relocated there, and the metal scene was growing, so it seemed like the right move. And although audiences in the Bay Area responded favorably to Slayer's music, they fucking hated the corpse paint. Oh, okay. Eventually, a Get a Grip friend was like, you guys look stupid. (laughs) The Kiss makeup doesn't fly here. Get rid of it. So they did. Well, was it like Kiss corpse paint? Was it like King Diamond corpse paint? It was probably somewhere in between the two. Because mm. like they liked King Diamond. They also liked Kiss. So yeah. they were probably doing something in the middle. Okay. I don't think it was Kitty Cats and Star Children. But, oh, you, you don't know. have Kitty Cat Man and Starboy? <laughs> Kitty Cat Man and Starboy. I That's, love it. Yeah. I don't like Kiss. <laughs> I I agree with that. I don't either. With the face paint firmly in the trash, Slayer spent the next year dominating venues across the U.S. and internationally. Hellowates made it across the pond and found pretty good success there. At one show in Germany, the guys thought they were just playing some rock festival headlined by UFO, a 70s classic rock band that was pretty much on its way out. They didn't have high hopes for the show until they they were told that out of 12,000 people in the audience, at least 8,000 of them were there specifically for Slayer. Jesus. Yeah. That's that's a lot. That's more than half. <laughs> that's like three quarters. Is that? That is three quarters, isn't it? <laughs> Math. No. Mm-hmm. Math. Is that three quarters? No, three quarters. No, what? Maybe. <gasps> wow. Math. <laughs> There we go. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, though. That's crazy. Yeah. Ditching the kitschy face paint was a good idea. Turns out we already got Kiss. We're good. <laughs> we don't need any more That's of fine. that. You guys can make it on your music alone. Yay. Yay. Somewhere in the midst of all this, Jeff and Dave, the band's resident punk and hardcore fans, started a har- hardcore band with Rocky George from Suicidal Tendency. Oh, shit. They called the band Pap Smear, which is a hearty groan from the two of us. But it wouldn't last all that long because Slayer was about to record the most defining album of their career. Wait a minute. Pap Smear or Pabst Smear? Pap Smear. See, I thought you said Pabst, like Pabst Blue Ribbon Smear. <laughs> and that would have been funny. And I that would have been hilarious. I would have groaned less. And I was like, wait, did I hear? So it was just pap smear. Just pap smear. Okay, just making sure. Like the legit gynecological procedure. That's fun. I guess. It's not. As a woman, let me tell you. 
It's not. Yeah, but to like a 1920 year old in 1985, that was pretty fucking funny. It is raining blood, isn't it? (laughs) I went there. Uh, I did it. I did it, guys. Uh (laughs) They went on to record their biggest album ever. Yeah. Not Pap Smear. (laughs) Not Pap Smear. No. On November 15th and 16th, 1985, Slayer played two nights at a club called L'Amour in Brooklyn. A fresh out of college, Rick Rubin, who had recently started Def Jam Records with Russell Simmons, was in the audience and was blown away. He met the boys backstage and knew he had to work with them in some capacity. Wow. Rick held a meeting with Brian Slagle, and they negotiated a record deal with Def Jam Records, which was then primarily a hip-hop record label. They had artists like LL Cool J and the Beastie Boys on their roster, so yeah. it was a bit of a leap to sign a metal band. Yeah, I was going to say, Def Jam? Def Jam. All right. But Rick was confident that he could help take Slayer to the next level. I got to give him credit. Rick Rubin is very good at bringing pretty much anyone to the next level. Yeah, especially in the 80s. And, you know, he was fresh out of New York University at this Mm -hmm. point, and he really liked hip-hop a lot, but he was also into metal. And somebody who has an eye and an ear for both genres. Right. I mean, there are a lot of similarities between the two. They're both pretty extreme. They're both... (laughs) Universally Uni- hated by Tipper Universally Gore. maligned <laughs> by the Washington Wives. So, yeah, it makes sense that he would want both on Def Jam. Yeah. I, I'll give Rick Rubin credit. He knows what he's doing. Right. I mean, generally, mm. he he mm. he knows. Slayer immediately started recording their next album, Rain and Blood. They went into the studio with all the music for the album already written and most of the lyrics done, too. These songs were clear departures from their last three releases. With shorter, faster songs and more driving beats, the hardcore punk influences in the songs are undeniable. Mm. And Slayer had a much bigger budget to work with this time around, which led to a much higher production value. And Rick Rubin, as producer, had a clear vision for where he wanted to take Slayer. He helped them tighten their sound and become much more succinct. Mm. So succinct that the album, which included 10 full songs, was only 28 minutes long. Wait, what? Yeah. That's like more of a punk album than than a metal album. Yeah. With Rain and Blood, Slayer went from black metal vagabonds to thrash metal kings. Yeah. Fans were worried how their sound would change, not just because they were moving to a hip-hop label, but because they were moving to a much bigger label in general. Mm -hmm. When Rain was released towards the end of 1986, a lot of fans were disappointed in in the clean sound. But the brutality found on their previous releases was still there. It was just concentrated. Yeah, I mean... This is a Welch's concentrate grape juice in the frozen section. Oh, yeah. This wasn't just like a shitty watered down jug of grape juice. Yeah. This was that delicious concentrated the frozen cylinder. Stuff. And like sometimes you pop the top off and like you look around and say anybody looking and you like, like lick you, the top lick a little it. bit. Oh, it's and you're like, nice oh, that's straight syrup. syrup. Love oh. It. Yes. oh, my God. That's what rain and blood was. Yeah. All right. You know what? <laughs> rain and blood is that frozen, sticky, delicious treat of concentrated Welch's grape juice. Oh, God, that sounds really good. 
But maybe I, not grape. I, I was thinking more like passion fruit. I actually like the orange. Oh, yeah. The, you know what? The, the orange. orange. <sighs> so good. Mm. Nothing like, tastes like it. Nothing. Because it's like, it's not straight up orange juice and it's not tang. It's somewhere in between those two and mm. it's amazing. Now I really want frozen concentrate. But I, I just, just want to lick it. I just want to eat it straight <laughs> out of the can. Is that weird? No, because it's Am like- I pregnant? <laughs> you are not pregante. Pregnant. <laughs> I'm going to get storch masks. <laughs> A lot of people bristled at the intense and abrasive subject matter in some of the songs. Oh. <gasps> Probably the most controversial song was the very first track on the album, Angel of Death. Okay. The lyrics were penned by World War II-obsessed Jeff and described the experiments Nazi physician Joseph Mengele subjected Auschwitz prisoners to during his time at the concentration camp. Ooh. Yeah. A little touchy. Ooh. A little touchy. But also, hold up. Ripe for really good writing material, though. Very much, because, man, the shit Mangala did... Oh, my gosh. ...is horrific and terrible and should never be repeated, but also, we need to learn from this shit, so... But also, like, the fact that that fucker got away. Yeah. I hope he got hit by a bus. I hope he got worse than that. I'm just trying here, guys. Although Rick Rubin himself was Jewish, he just brushed it off. But Walter Yetnikoff, president of Jeff Def Jam's parent company, CBS, was also Jewish and very much took offense to the song and refused to let Rain and Blood be released. Oh. Understandably, yeah. I get it. Was the, was the song kind of written from a positive standpoint not at all oh let me tell you okay please tell me it is worth noting here that jeff has repeatedly said that the song in no way supports promotes or praises joseph mangala to jeff the song is more of a history lesson he's not sensationalizing mangala simply telling a nonfiction story yeah he told a radio dj in 2004 that people have a knee-jerk reaction to the song because quote there's nothing i put in the lyrics that says necessarily that he was a bad man because to me well isn't it obvious i shouldn't have to tell you that no you should exactly <laughs> we all know nazis are bad we all know joseph mangala is bad why does he have to say in the lyrics this is a bad man. He's like, a bad man. Like, we all should know that already. And he doesn't say anywhere, anywhere in any of the lyrics, doesn't even come close to saying that what he did was cool or no. what he did. Nothing. He's just going through it as if it is a history lesson. And the way I read the lyrics, it's more like, yeah, these are really fucked up things that this guy did. And the even worse fucked up thing is that it's all true. Yeah. So, yeah, he shouldn't have to say that he's bad. Like, no. <laughs> unless, unless you are, he is explicitly saying like, yeah, this is fucking cool. Which is not. It's pretty much taken as, yeah, this dude was terrible and what he did was terrible. He's just saying like, these are things that happened. And if you listen to that and say like, that's cool. That's That's on you. you. That's a you problem. Yeah. This isn't Jeff Hanneman's problem. This is a you problem. I mean, yeah. 
and I have so many feelings and thoughts on this, but please continue. No, express them. What, I just what? mean like it's frustrating because he's he's clearly not. It's almost like the people who are trying to make the positive points are the people who get censored mm-hmm. and the people get shut down. But the people who are actually toxic and bad and making bad points. No, you can say it. You can do it. It's fine. Like, what upsets me is that the people that are having this knee-jerk reaction to this song are having it simply for the fact that he is just mentioning precisely like it does they do not take into consideration the context Mm -mm. or what the lyrics are actually saying they are just saying he's talking about nazis so clearly he's promoting nazism that's not what this was at all yeah and that's kind of what i mean too like it's a whole thing of conservatism is like oh we need to we need to quiet anything any any conversations that are any single conversation about this it doesn't matter if it's educating people it's not doesn't matter if it's condemning it or what just get Mm -hmm. rid of it and that's not helpful to anybody now i feel like the conservative side would be like no let's talk about nazis though right isn't it ironic don't you think Hmm. Hmm. when the nazism serves their agenda it's totally okay to condone it it's almost like they're hypocrites Hmm weird (laughs) anyway so okay they're not gonna release rain and blood right still despite the band repeatedly denying that they support nazism they have spent years fighting against accusations of racism because of this song oh that's frustrating yeah and while the lyrics are descriptive and brutal he says nothing that could be construed as support of nazism yeah the truly ironic thing is that the other songs on the album are all about satanism and tearing down christianity and the dude singing the lyrics is a practicing Catholic. <laughs> yeah. oh like, come on. Although the album was recorded and ready for release in mid-1986, the holdup over Angel of Death pushed the release date back. Ugh. It was finally released via Geffen Records in or on October 7th, 1986, because Geffen was the only company that was like, yeah, we'll fucking release it, whatever. Yeah, this is rad. I'm going to totally put this out, man. Pretty much. My dad owns a dealership. I can totally get you a job. <laughs> it entered the Billboard charts in November and peaked at number 94 in December. Wait, like in just the general Billboard charts? Yep. Yo, that's really good for a heavy metal album in the 80s. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Compared to Metallica's Master of Puppets, which was released earlier that same year, Rain and Blood didn't do nearly as well, Mm. but it would go on to have a thrash metal legacy like no other album in the genre. Right. I mean, also, like, Master of Puppets is Metallica's best album, so... Right. Gotta live up something. Yeah, I mean, they were released around the same time, Mm -hmm. and I think Master of Puppets hit, like, the 50s or 40s or something. Again, very good for a metal album. Which is pretty fucking great, but, like... In my opinion, Rain and Blood is far more indicative of thrash metal and defined it far more than Master of Puppets did because mm. Master of Puppets is a really great album, but they definitely did the like longer, more oh, flourishing yeah. kind of songs. A little proggy yeah. in some ways. And I would say a lot of that's in due uh, part for Cliff. Right. Because Cliff was very into, like, storytelling and music. Right. So. Whereas um, Slayer with Rain and Blood were like, we want to tell a story, but 
we don't want to get bored playing the same chorus, verse, chorus, verse thing over and over again. So they were like, if we have to play the chorus a third time, we're fucking bored. No, I know, but they just wanted to go hard. They wanted to go fast, which is also amazing and still really enjoyable. Which I think is more definitive of thrash metal than Master of Puppets is. You're right. So, yeah, they were just like, we didn't consciously um, shorten our songs because... You know, we wanted to make it super hard and fast and really short. We Mm -hmm. did it because we didn't want to get bored with these songs. All right. Respect. And Rick Rubin was like, yeah, fucking do it. (laughs) I'll record you. You want me to record you? I'll record you. I'll record you. (laughs) Recording. (laughs) Hey, hit those cymbals. (laughs) Make sure you hit them real hard. Real hard. It was far more controversial, far shorter, and far more diverse than anything Hetfield and company could conjure up. Mm. And the fact that hip-hop-leading producer was Slayer's guiding force during recording made the album all that more alluring. I bet. Rain and Blood was not only a defining album for Slayer, it was a defining album for thrash metal in general. Guitars ripping at breakneck speeds, double bass drums, and dark-themed lyrics that were practically barked into a microphone, (laughs) it was the perfect blend of metal, punk, and hardcore. Like, if you look at the Venn diagram of metal, punk, and hardcore, Mm -hmm. that middle spot says Slayer. Nice. Yeah. All right. So you could see how it could have wide appeal. So wide that it spawned countless covers, including a cover of the song Raining Blood by Tori Amos. I have to listen to that. It's really good. Also, but a like, mashup of Rain and Blood with Rock Lobster. <laughs> but also, like, Carrie was talking about Tori Amos's cover of Raining Blood. By the way, the song is called Raining blood and the album is called rain Rain in in blood Blood. because carrie was just so clever and was like (laughs) let's do a pun basically (laughs) you know what i could respect carrie you know what fine that's cool and you know what the hilarious thing about carrie is that like you look at pictures of him like in recent years and he's just like this kind of buff dude with a terrible tribal tattoo of down an arm. Nice. Bald with this like really super long goatee. And you're like, this guy's a douchebag, isn't he? This guy's a <laughs> fucking douchebag. <laughs> and then reading this book and like reading articles and stuff about them, he's like, nah, this dude's fucking cool. Oh. Like he's actually pretty fucking cool. That's nice. He just looks like a douchebag. You know what? <laughs> like, I like knowing But he that. just has one of those faces where like. You look at him, you're like, that dude's a fucking asshole. And then he starts talking, you're like, oh, you're actually pretty nice. He's pretty fucking nice. Tom, super fucking nice. Like, nice hair, nice attitude. That's, you know what? I like that. Into it. Wait, what did he say about the Toriumos cover? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, So, Carrie was like, yeah, so if she hadn't told us about her doing this cover, we never would have known. Oh, and then he listened to it and he was like, it really like threw me for a loop because like I had no idea what she was doing. <laughs> He's like, I didn't yeah. know. I couldn't tell where she was in the song until like a minute and a half into it. <laughs> oh, wow. And he was like, but it was really cool. Like, you know, we wouldn't have known. So, you know, the fact that she did it and she did it and she made it her own is totally cool. That is one thing I love about Tori Amos's covers is they're always her own. Yeah. They do not sound like the original. That's why I love them. And it definitely sounds like a song that Tori probably wrote herself. Yeah. Which is perfect. 
I'm here for it. They loved it so much they sent her some Slayer t-shirts. That's adorable. Just Tori Amos in this oversized Slayer <laughs> shirt. I love it. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> She's just a wood nymph on the tree where like Dave Mustaine and the horse are just <laughs> braiding each other's hair. Aw, she's serenading them with mm, a nice it. little piano thing. <laughs> Usually after a band creates such a seminal album like Rain and Blood, they're out promoting the crap out of it in the months between recording and release. Right. Not so in this case. No. <laughs> they barely played any shows until their Rain and Pain tour that kicked off in November 1986 and that tour would prove pretty fortuitous or unfortuitous oh. for Dave Lombardo. Oh, no. For years now, the band was growing increasingly annoyed with Dave. Oh, no. What? Dave, what are you doing? What about Dave? What about Dave? The first incident happened early in their career where Dave basically called out sick. Okay. He didn't show up to a gig because he wasn't feeling well. I'm sick. (laughs) You whore. (laughs) And Carrie never forgave him for it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. But wow. A band isn't something you can really call out sick to. And Carrie was like, no, we're taking this seriously. Like, you can't just not show up for a show. No, I get that. But I mean, if it's only... Was it only a one-time thing? I mean, that's... Oh. Oh. Since then, it became increasingly clear that Dave's personality didn't jive with the rest of the band. Oh, no. Tom, Carrie, and Jeff were all exceptionally laid-back dudes, and Dave's caffeine daddy persona was high-strung as fuck. Caffeine daddy? Caffeine daddy. I'm I'm coining it. That's it. TM, TM, caffeine daddy. TM, TM, caffeine daddy. Is he just all about the fresh pots? Yes. Oh, so maybe, Dave, even... maybe Dave Grawl is a is a caffeine daddy too. Yo, is it something about Dave's? Maybe something about Dave's caffeine, Dave. But also like Dave but Mustaine I... was an alcoholic. <laughs> that's not that's not the same. Thing. He was a booze daddy. <laughs> booze daddy. Mm, that's my kind of daddy. I'm into it. Mm. I'll give him a pass. Here for daddies. Yeah. What is wrong with me? <laughs> I don't know. Whatever's wrong with you is wrong with me, too. I get it. Oh, okay. It. I, feel it. I feel better now. <laughs> it didn't help that Dave always left the guys to pack up his drum kit, which was just fucking rude. Yup. That's rude. You don't do that. You don't do that. If I was the band, I'd leave his drum set there and be like... Also, the drum kit is the most complicated instrument to set up and take down. And it's so, yours, like, so why would you want anyone else to yours. touch it? It's yours. Mm. That's just rude. It's rude and it's dumb. Disrespect. Yeah, like, come on, Dave. Jesus. Shit started to hit the fan right before the Rain in Pain tour. There were many issues between Dave and the rest of the band, and it all came to a head at the end of 1986. Okay. At the time, Metallica was on tour for Master of Puppets, when they got into the tragic bus accident that killed Cliff Burton. Yeah. And they were set to headline the Ardshock Festival in Holland on October 26th. So Ardshock's booking agent contacted Slayer to fill the spot. That's fair. But the booking agent discussed the show only with Dave. 
who accepted the gig and never told the rest of the band. <gasps> Stop it. Not even joking. Dave. What are you doing, Dave? Oh, my God. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. So when they announced Slayer was headliner, they were like, uh, no, we're not playing. We knew nothing of this. And they're like, oh, no, I talked to Dave. 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 <laughs> Dave. Yeah, Carrie was furious, and that carried over into the Rain and Pain tour. Yeah, I bet. Dave was also a newlywed, very preoccupied with his wife, Teresa, whom the rest of the band didn't really like. Oh. No, wait, refresh my memory. Was Dave the one who didn't go out and party because he had a girlfriend? Yes. Okay, so. This is the same girlfriend, and he married her. Okay. Yes. As soon as they got a record contract with Def Jam, he was like, I made it, baby. Let's get married. Mm. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and then they went and got married. <laughs> Good for them. That sounds I'm nice. Taking great liberties with the two of them, but that's how I picture it. It's <laughs> no, perfect. Okay. I made it, babe. Let's get married. <laughs> they are not from Brooklyn. No, not at Queens. all. No. Nope. They had a strict no friends or family on tour rule, but Dave totally ignored it and okay. brought Teresa on the Rain and Pain tour with him. All right. Have we learned nothing from every single band ever? Basically. When there was a no significant other rule. Yeah, adhere to it. Because it's going to ruin the band. There is a reason why you have this rule. Yeah. And just because you're like, nah, I don't like this rule, doesn't mean you can just say, fuck this rule. I'm sorry, honey, you ain't special. Mm-mm. Like, you ain't special compared to your bandmates. Right. And you like, can't override this rule because you're like, but I really like her. But also, if, if there has got to be some level of, I know that the rest of the band doesn't really like me. Right. In, in Teresa's mind. So Why? Would you subject yourself mm -hmm. to a month and a half of being on a tour bus with these dudes that you know don't really like you and don't want you there because they have a fucking rule that says you're not allowed there? Why would you be like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll go on this tour and share this bus with these three other dudes that don't really like me? Yeah. Even though I'm not supposed to be here. Even though I'm not supposed to be here. The only exception is if you can make yourself useful. Right. They give like you either like basically roadie or like do makeup or, or costumes. Set up and or take you... down the drum set that your husband doesn't want to fucking set Actually, up or take down. Honestly, I bet you if she just took down this fucking drum they'd set, be like, they'd be like, we like you better than Dave, honestly. They'd probably be like, we'll maybe pay you. Right. They'd be like, you know what? She's cool. She's here. Yeah. She can stay. Like, I, if. I can't imagine. Could you imagine being with your significant other? And, like, the band is, like, no people on tour, but you come on tour. Like, you would be, like, let me make myself as useful as fucking possible so they right. don't fucking hate me. Right. And also so I don't fucking hate them. Yeah. Because I would end up hating them. Yeah, you would. <laughs> but, you see, you make the best of a bad situation, but it does not sound like this was happening. Yeah. And also, to make it worse, Dave and Teresa fought constantly. Oh, fuck. They were constantly at each other's throats. Ugh. For a while, Dave had become increasingly aggravated by not having a voice in the writing of Slayer's music. And that was exacerbated when he realized he wasn't getting the same paycheck from the record company as the other guys were. Is it because you're not a songwriter? 
he didn't write any music or lyrics, so he wasn't getting publishing royalties. And he was pissed about that. That's how it goes. You're not writing stuff, so you're not going to get the same paycheck that everybody else is getting. That is how business works. I get it. You're kind of new. You don't really know. But, like, ask somebody to explain it to you. Yeah. Like, you're not going to get money for writing a song when you didn't write the song. That's how it works. Yeah. I'm really sick of people who don't deserve the rights to a fucking song trying to get the rights to a fucking song. This is happening now. It's still happening now. So fucking annoying. Meanwhile, the band had to deal with outside troubles as well. The PMRC was back with their bullshit in December 1986, singling out Slayer's album and complaining to Warner Records that the explicit lyrics warning label wasn't big enough. They literally wrote a letter to Warner saying, it's not big enough. (sighs) Tipper, what else do you have going on in your life right now? But also there's a giant pentagram on the front of it. Like, how much more warning do you need? Yep. Oh, my fucking God. But also, Tipper Gore was gone. It was OK Susan that was heading it up at this OK point. Susan. Yeah. Get a fucking knitting career. I don't know. Make yourself Start fucking Start a quilting useful. support group or something. I'm Why don't sure you you're set up and take down some drums? I don't know. Just make yourself <laughs> fucking useful. Somebody. Will somebody take down Dave's drums? <laughs> somebody. somebody. <laughs> Please. He's not doing it. <laughs> This caused religious groups to picket Slayer shows and led to Tom's family getting calls threatening his life. I'm so angry about your violent lyrics that I'm going to that I'm going to your threaten life. violence on this person. I yes. fucking hate these people because that's totally fine. Yep, I fucking hate these people. Yeah, they deserve to die the worst. But death. if it's violence. In the name of God, I guess, even though he's fucking Catholic. I gotta calm down. I'm sorry. I have breathe. to calm down. <sighs> the calls intensified as the guys went on tour, culminating in the caller threatening to kill Tom during their two-night stint at the Ritz in New York City. And Tom's parents alerted their manager, Rick Sales, who beefed up security with, a, like, about 50-fold. Wow. And Tom had no idea any of this was going on until after the shows were over. He just thought it was weird that they had all this extra security all of a sudden. It must be a New York City thing. But I mean, I get why nobody would want to No, tell don't him. tell him. Don't, I think that was smart. Yeah, don't tell him until afterwards. Yeah, it's a very smart move. After those New York City shows were over, the boys tackled their issues with Dave and Teresa. Oof. Rick Rubin even called in an intermediary to iron out their problems, and they thought they worked everything out, but after they went back to California for the holidays, Dave gave his notice. Oh, Dave quit. Dave quit. He was a member of the quits. (laughs) He was the quits. He was the quits all along. It was Dave all along. (laughs) He expected a fight or incredulous guffawing at least, but they were just like, okay. Thank you for making our lives easier. Yeah. Which pissed Dave off even more. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Def Jam got busy finding new drummers to audition. They didn't really have any A-listers pounding down their door to become the new Slayer drummer, but they did find a solid musician to fill the spot. They hired an 18-year-old kid named Tony Scaglione. Oh, that's not his real name. It is his real that's name. That's not a real name. Yeah. He is... 
he's related to Giuseppe Stromboli. For Clearly, sure. they're cousins. They're just making pizzas in and, their and plumber shop, garbage bread, <laughs> and saving princesses from. Oh this is like from... the Wish version of Super Mario. <laughs> like what? It's the metal version of Super Mario. A lot more blood. It's, it's so like you took Super blood. Mario and Doom and just mashed them together. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> With Tony Scaglione being the fucking hero here. And Giuseppe Stromboli. Give him the backhand. <laughs> he was a drummer from a band called Whiplash that Slayer saw open for Overkill back in October of 86. And they were thoroughly impressed by him. Tony had two weeks to learn the entire Slayer catalog before they went back out on the road opening for Wasp. Ooh. So the most important uh, piece of information I learned in all of my research okay. is the fact that Wasp stands for We Are Sexual Perverts. That's why there's dots in between all the letters. I- we are sexual perverts i don't know if you want to you want to tell people that <laughs> i don't you're gonna end up on a list Gentlemen, somebody's list you're gonna end up on a list hey they did they ended up on pmrc's list good for them they did it congratulations i, <laughs> I mean i'm not gonna i no you know what i take that back i'm not congratulating them on anything because blackie lawless is just a fucking character of awful proportions oh I don't even want to do an episode on them, but I kind of do just because Blackie Lawless is the fucking worst. I hate him. Oh, you want to do a rage episode? Okay. Yeah. We can do a, a, you know, it's almost, it's not a hate watch. It's like a hate list story. Hate story. Hate story, I guess. On Wasp. The tour was lackluster at best, with shows barely half full. If anyone could have seen this coming, it was Dave Lombardo. (laughs) He was living the married life in L.A., working a job in a stock room that his father-in-law got for him. And even though the rest of the band were pretty relieved that Dave and his bullshit were gone, they knew Tony wasn't going to work out. Oh, Tony Stromboli. Tony Stromboli. Like, I forgot his name already. Tony Scaglione, That's but it's it. Stromboli now. <laughs> Can we just call him Calzone Stromboli? Oh my god, now I'm hungry. <laughs> Rick Rubin started appealing to Dave to come back, telling him he was missed and even offering him a salary. The other three Slayer guys knew Dave was the only drummer they needed, and they even started appealing to him to come back. Wow. But Dave just wouldn't bite. All right. And I it mean, is, I guess that's fair. It is on that cliffhanger that <gasps> I am going to leave us no! all. No. Oh, my God. No. Until next time. That's a legit cliffhanger for me. I don't know what happens. <laughs> If you don't know Slayer, you don't know what happens, I and that don't. is the, the amazing titillating thing that's going to make you come back. Oh, yeah, titillations that'll make you come back. The tits make you come back. back. <laughs> the tit brings you back. I'm telling you no lie. <laughs> Those were the original Blues Traveler songs. And he's like, no, lyrics. you know what? I'm going to sing a song about Peter Pan instead. <laughs> <laughs> oh. How do you go from tits to Peter Pan? I don't want to know. I don't I- either. They're going to end up on the same list as Wasp at this <laughs> point. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck. If That's- only Wasp had hid their lyrics behind a jolly 
like overweight man in a, a fishing harmonica. hat with a harmonica. I mean, they could have gotten away with so much. They really could have. <laughs> Love Blues Traveler. Anyway, wow. Love Blues Traveler. <laughs> Don't come for me. Ugh, wow, that actually is a really legit fucking cliffhanger. Yeah, I, I fucked you up, didn't I? You kind of did, and I'm upset, but it's fine. <laughs> I hope no one else is upset as I am, but thank you all for listening. Yeah, we're going to have so much more to talk about next oh episode. I have to cram so much into that episode. It's daunting, but I'm excited to do it. It's okay. My episode for that I thought I was doing next week, but apparently I'm doing it in two weeks. I might even have to make that a two-parter because I was like, yeah, oh, that's only like half their career. Yeah. Huh. These metal bands. Like, metal bands. Surprising us with so much content. I know, but I'm here for it. I like content. We hope you guys do too. Yeah. And if you do, and it's your first time here, we got a lot more down on our website, rockcandypodcast.com. We've talked about a lot of metal bands. We've talked about some punk bands. We've talked about some hardcore bands. And, you know, we've talked about Enya. So, like, we're covering <laughs> so it we, all. We literally cover everything. It is amazing how far our tastes really stretch. It really, yeah. Sometimes, do you know how hard it is to make a playlist? Because I'm like, oh, but this has to appeal to other people, not just me. <laughs> right. Shit. All right. Cool, cool, cool. But yes, thank you all for listening. Come back next week for part two because I want to know what happens. Oh, it's going to be so much and it's going to be great. <sighs> yeah. A lot happens. I, I'm seeing that. It's great. I'm, I'm Some's in, great. I'm some tantalized. Sad. Some's really eye-opening. Uh-huh. This whole thing has been so fucking eye-opening to me. Like... I had it completely wrong about Slayer. You know what it is, too? I feel like of the big four, like, everybody always talks about Metallica and Megadeth, but I feel like it's Slayer and Anthrax Anthrax who have, like... The better stories, the better music. And I think they have the better perspective. Yeah. Mm. Gonna go with that. But yeah, um, if you want more perspectives of ours, Mm. you can also become a patron. Oh, yes, you can. And you can do that on... Patreon.com slash rock candy podcast. We have bonus episodes. Um, yeah, we, we got also... some good shit to talk about this month. Yeah. Already. Yeah. And it's only the I, first week in May. I'm like this close to being like, fuck it, let's just do a bonus episode right now. Yeah. I got so many. I have opinions and thoughts. But that's only if you want to hear our opinions and thoughts. If you don't, you don't have to give us money. You can just keep coming in for the weekly. Yeah. Which, you know, here it is. And enjoy it. Love you're it. welcome. I mean, you're welcome. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I guess, uh, yeah. So come back next week. We'll have the finale of Slayer. See what happens with Dave. See so many things happening see with Dave. What happens with their blood and, and the raining of it. And listen to us really compliment the shit out of Tom's hair. Like a oh lot. God, honestly, I'm we're just gonna go look at pictures of Tom's hair right now. Yeah, I highly suggest doing that. All right, sounds good. Right. Well, we're gonna do that right now, but until next week, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. And party on you crazy kids out there. The hook brings you burk. I tell it you know That's a harmonica solo. <laughs> <laughs>